Hey, it's Mastin. Welcome to the Mastin Kid Podcast. If you want to take your first step uh, on your trauma-informed journey, come to claimyourpowerbook.com and get my book, Claim Your Power. There are uh, a bunch of awesome free bonuses with that, including a 40-day coaching journey with me that will get you started on your trauma-informed path. Claimyourpowerbook.com. Enjoy. It's awesome. I put my heart and soul into it. And if you want to really start your journey to do your trauma work, claimyourpowerbook.com is the place to go to get my book, claim your power, and to get a bunch of free bonuses, including free coaching with me for 40 days. Please enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Mastin Kip Podcast. I'm your host. Mastin Kip, and I am the creator of Functional Life Coaching, where we discover the root cause emotional blocks that are holding you back from success. And I'm also the creator of Trauma Hacking, helping you turning your nervous system into your ally, and the best-selling author of the book, Claim Your Power, and also a trauma survivor advocate. And this podcast is from my heart to yours. I'm going to share with you all kinds of different things, uh, different coaching uh, experiences that I've had with people, um, different parts of my life, maybe an excerpt from a seminar, different interviews with friends and thought leaders, all about how to get unstuck, how to hack your nervous system, how to turn your nervous system into your ally and really get the edge so that you can really live your dreams, uh, live your purpose, and most importantly, pay it forward. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. One favor I have for you is this. If you love this podcast, remember to subscribe to it. And if you feel called, please feel free to leave a review because reviews really matter, helps us spread the word and helps other people really discover this podcast. So if this was valuable to you, please feel free to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. And if there's anything in this episode or any episode that really strikes you as an aha moment, shoot us an email to hello at mastinkip.com. Tell us which episode it was and about what time uh, the breakthrough was in the episode so that we can really know because I'd love to hear from you what your aha moments are. I love hearing that. My team loves hearing that too. So without any further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Mastin Kip Podcast. Welcome back. All right. So hopefully you're understanding this by now, but I'm going to put this slide up. Poor just... There's no such thing as a bad response. There are only adaptive responses. Pick that in for a second. There's no such thing as bad. Bad is a subjective assumption. Good or bad, well, how do you know? You have to look at history. If you look at history, you realize it's adaptation. Okay? That's why when you look at the DSM, I think all the Ds, so P, T, S, what? Well, it's classified as what? D, right? Or DID. All the, used to be called NPD, OCD, ODD, D, 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 D. (laughs) All that shit, right? If we just cross this shit out and put an R there instead, and recognize it's a response to something. It's not a disorder. Disorder means it's kind of bad, if you will. Something's wrong with it. But the thing is, is that there's nothing wrong with those responses. They're appropriate based on the history. Who follows? Does it make sense? Yeah, thank you very much. It's really important to understand that. I remember uh, I taught my father this a while back. And uh, you know he's diagnosed PTSD and, uh, from Vietnam. And he was uh, with his psychologist in, uh, at the VA. And they actually, I know the VA gets a lot of shit, but they take really good care of my dad. Um, they recently gave him some hearing aids 
that allow him to hear because the other ones wouldn't because he has certain frequencies he can't hear. So it's, if he makes it louder, you just make the frequencies he can hear louder and the ones he can't hear louder. But they came out with a hearing aid that actually changes the frequency of the sound so he can hear. So it's amazing to see that. So like, I mean, that's life-changing. And he also can't get away with that bullshit. What? Anymore? <laughs> you know, I know there's been some times over the years where I said some shit that he heard. And he was like, what? You know, magically, if I go, dad, dinner's ready. He always heard that. You know, I don't know. <laughs> right. But I remember I talked about the R part and uh, he, he actually got like, yeah, based on my history. And he was a, a medic in a helicopter for three years in the front lines of trauma. So all kinds of really horrific stuff. So it made sense to him. And so he was with a psychologist, the VA, and they gave him his diagnosis uh, in Asheville because that's where he relocated to for a while. And he was actually, can we just put PTSR on there? And obviously you can't because it's not the DSM, but the psychologist was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, have you heard of polyvagal theory? Because everything is a response to trauma. And <laughs> I have an overactive sympathetic response to certain triggering events based on the history, so it makes sense. So it's not a disorder, nothing wrong with me. I just had this history, and so it's a response to that trauma. Psychologist was like, um, do you have more information on this? You know, like, <laughs> it was really cool uh, to see that. And he brought in Portis's book, which is this thick um, and amazing. And also, I had to read it a hundred thousand times. Like, what is he talking about? Because oh, it's academic. It's super academic. But it's amazing to kind of see that. But here's the thing, guys. So I was at the trauma conference a few months ago. And if you look at all the diagnoses, um, a lot of them, or I should say all the diagnoses in the DSM, could be a secondary response to a trauma. Now, I'm not saying that they all are, but if you have a trauma, it's possible they all could be. So I'm not saying every response in the DSM necessarily is a specific response to trauma. I would hypothesize that. We don't have the data on that to make that claim. But it's very easy to understand how if you have some sort of a core wounding, even if it's a facial, you know, face, the, the wrong face for the first couple years, that could respond into something that would be maladaptive. Who follows? Does this make sense? And what does maladaptive mean? It's no longer effective. It's not functioning well, but it's an adaptation. Okay, so we'll just keep the slides up. And um, so just understand everything's a response. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean it's okay. Murder is a response to trauma, but that's not okay. Rape is a response to trauma, that's not okay. So we're not saying if someone's traumatizing or hurting somebody else that they're off the hook. And I'm not also saying that they're good people in terms of their, their behavior set. At an identity level, they just don't know any better based on their history. And the other thing is, is that we have to understand it to change it. Does that make sense? So the death penalty in one sense is, okay, maybe that person will no longer be here, but guess what? The systems and the people and the, all the environments that created that type of a person are still here. So we're going to still see the emergent properties of things, right? So we have to understand why it's there. Everything's a response. How could there be so many mass shootings in America, right? Well, that's a trauma response. It's not okay. It doesn't make it okay. No one should use trauma as an excuse, ever, ever, ever. But we can use it as an explanation, and we, then we can start to change it. Because we understand what actually is happening, then we can change it. Let me break down something for you real quick and how this stuff can go super maladaptive. So I have a hypothesis about Sandy Hook. Would you like to hear it? Okay. So you had a young man who committed that atrocity. Okay. Now, if you look what happened, okay, so the child is the one who did it. Okay. He was, young, he was the, 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 the son. So the first person he killed that day was who? His mother. I would hypothesize there was significant maternal emotional withdrawal. I would hypothesize. I don't have their history, but I would hypothesize. Okay. Now, do you know where the mom worked? At the school where there were children. 
And I bet that she was present and attuned. That's my hypothesis. And that that creates so much rage here that she, he, this, what he, he was really raging against the mom, but fuck you, I'm going to kill you and the people that, you, that took you from me or the people that you love more than you love me in that mindset. doesn't make it right. But you're like, how the f*** could this happen? And I don't know the trauma history here. I don't know the trauma history here. I don't know any of this type of stuff. This is an atrocity. Who follows? Obviously. But when, you, when, you, when I look at it, I'm like, I wonder. That would actually kind of make some sense out of it. And so when we look at these types of things, by the way, it's, is, it her, is it his mother's fault? No. Oh, let the fall out. So, oh, okay. So what the fuck is that? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so it's not the mother's fault, and, and obviously this man should be held responsible for his actions, so we're not saying, oh, he's traumatized them off the hook, right? So Dr. Nasser, who did those awful things to the Olympic team, the gymnast team, should be in jail for the rest of his fucking life. And we understand what was his pathology, what happened in his history to cause that to happen, not to let him off the hook, so it never fucking happens again. Who follows? This makes sense, right? We have to start looking through this lens. So I don't know if that's true, but seems like it might be. What do you guys think? Maybe? Maybe. Okay. So yeah, this stuff, when it goes maladaptive long enough, can be very, 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 very toxic. Okay. So moving on. Internal working models are also known as attachment styles. Okay. So we're kind of shifting into the land of attachment. Okay. And you have to understand that your unique attachment history forms your style. Okay. And I'm going to give you different styles. There's more. There's different names for them, depending on where you come from and all that type of stuff. You can be blended in different ones and stuff like that. But for now, just, just know that nobody's just one thing, okay? But you have a tendency to be one or the other, okay? So the primary attachment styles, first we got secure. And secure attachment is just a consistent response to needs, right? I'm here, and you're here, and I'm consistently responding to your needs. You're consistently responding to my needs. If we go and we have a rupture, we know how to repair it. By the way, what's the cure for perfectionism? What's the cure for perfectionism? Making mistakes. Making mistakes? Is that, well, perfectionists are like... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yes, that's correct. But is it a participation trophy? Developing a more secure attachment, okay. Can we get the lights up more too, if it's possible, the room lights? The, 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 the cure for perfectionism, guys, is the ability to repair. If I don't get it perfect, then it's gonna, something bad's going to happen and I can't come back from it, I can't repair it. If I don't get it perfect on the test, then I can't go to college. The repair opportunities are so low. But if you know that you can repair in a relationship, like you can fuck up and come back and have it be okay and kind of get back on the same page, you can risk more, you can speak up more, you can heal more in a relationship. Knowing that you can repair is awesome. Now, you don't want to take advantage of that and do some really fucked up shit because you're going to repair, obviously. But in general, day-to-day -day relationships and stuff like that, if we know that we can kind of get off track and that's okay, and we can come back on track and that's okay, well, that's awesome, right? There's a couple that I once met. Their claim to fame was, we've never argued in 10 years. I had two simultaneous thoughts. You are some seriously fucking dissociated people First thought, second thought, who never f <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's just That is true, okay? It's just true, right? Because you can't really be intimate and loving and passionate with somebody if you're holding stuff down. You just can't do it. It's not how it works long term, right? 
when you let stuff out, when you know how to emote, when you know how to express, when you know how to be heard and not, you know, put one down or all that type of stuff and actually be validated, not to say I agree with you in terms of the facts, but I can't argue with your experience. I can't argue with how you feel. I understand how you would feel that way. That type of repair builds all kinds of amazing intimacy. Intimacy is the byproduct of telling the truth. Intimacy is the byproduct of being seen and heard. Intimacy is the byproduct of repair. Who follows? This makes sense. So in the beginning, it might be all passion and romance and stuff like that, but fights are not bad if they don't hurt you. Because what happens is when you get dysregulated, you want to bring those parts of yourself up to be vocalized and acknowledged, and that's how it heals. So in a relationship, the way you heal the trauma is through things not going well and then repairing it. And the more you can repair it and the more you can bring it back, the calmer your nervous system becomes. Who follows? This makes sense? And that's the parenting we never got, typically. And that's what secure attachment's all about. Okay? Avoidant. Typically rigid, distant, or there's no response to needs growing up. So for me, my mom, broken back. She didn't not love me. She wasn't abusive, but she wasn't emotionally available. So she couldn't reach for me. And I remember, like, I talked to my dad once about this one trip we took to my grandparents' house when I was about three years old and how alone I felt because I had a memory come back up. And he, he said to me, literally, like, well, we knew you could handle it. I'm like, I couldn't handle it. I'm vulnerable as fuck, you fuck. <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, we worked it out and stuff like that. But, you know, he's coming from trauma, Vietnam War, seeing the worst. Oh, you can handle being in a room yourself for a few weeks. That's nothing. And in a sense, it isn't much compared to what he went through. But for a three-year-old child, it's terrifying. Right? And so my nervous system's expectation is that if I call out, no one will be there. And if they are, they're hurt and I have to take care of them. Right? Because that's my experience with my mom. By the way, is that a, could that be a strength too? I had to take care of my mom, figure out what was wrong, call bullshit on what a lot of the doctors were saying with respect and find a better way. How is that a strength? That's what I'm doing right now. Who follows? This makes sense. But if it was all I was doing and I didn't be able to come back to secure attachment, I'd be fucking lonely, dysregulated, all that type of stuff. Okay? So avoidant is far off. You start to shut down. In fact, the avoidance say, you know what? There's really no value in using my attachment system. I'm just going to shut that shit down. I'm going to just be a loner, do my own thing. Okay? Now, the anxious, what happens to the anxious folk is that they have a response to the needs and it can even be a really secure response. The problem is that it's inconsistent right? That object permanence isn't there as much. So that's why if your parents, you know, are working two jobs or something like that, and they're there, and they're there, it's fucking awesome. But then they're not there, right? That's the beginning of sort of the anxious attachment style. And so the expectation for the anxious attachment style is, oh my God, I'm going to get my needs met, and then they're going to fucking leave. Who follows? Does it make sense, right? And this is the beginning of what we call fix me by Sunday, you better fucking fix me during this fucking seminar because Monday's fucking coming and I know I'm leaving and you're leaving, so I better fix it now. <laughs> All the anxious people are like, I know, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? And so the opportunity to understand is that anxious attachment, you know, it's not that you have maybe generalized anxiety, it's that you have object permanence trust issues in the sense that you're going to have something, but it'll be taken away. Avoidant people have gone through this shit so fucking much. They're like, why the fuck would I think it's going to come back? Why? 
And by the way, I don't want it to come back. You know, want to know why? Because I can do it by myself. And that happens until it gets too hard. And that's when we, the healing crisis and stuff like that starts to happen. And what's really interesting is that typically you tend to get avoided and anxious people attracted to each other, right? And what's even more interesting though, is that you do have avoidance and avoidance and anxious and anxious. And sometimes that's even better though, to be like two avoidance together or two anxious people together. Cause like how do two anxious people cope? <laughs> Both of them, right? How do two avoidant people cope? Yo, I'm gonna take him to space. I already took it, so f you. I mean, <laughs> and to understand why you're wired the way you're wired doesn't mean that you have to be wired that way from now on. But it is a default coping mechanism, right? So when you get dysregulated, for me, when I get dysregulated, I want to go to Bali for three months, <laughs> right? When Jenna gets dysregulated, she wants to be together with her, her whole family for three months. And the opposite, that's like, that is so dysregulated. If you want, I'm dysregulated, and I gotta go be with all these fuckers for three months. Ah! Xanax, please! You know, like, I can't do it, right? Give me the wine. I need my CBD if I'm gonna do that shit. <laughs> right? But imagine for the anxious person being far away, same thing. Right? So it's not just generalized anxiety. We don't always have generalized anxiety. It's situational. It's situational. Okay? But there's a fourth style, and the fourth style, I love you. <laughs> I love this group because I think it's probably most of the people in here, I would guess, is disorganized. Right? Unpredictable response to needs, a combination of one, two, and three, and a lot of times the caregivers were dangerous and safe. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? And so do you have ADD or do you have a disorganized attachment style? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And so disorganized, these people, um, they're like this. They're like, would you please come here while you go away? I really need you to leave, but stay, <laughs> right? And they're like, well, what do you want? I mean, I want this. <laughs> come here, but right there, but come a little bit closer, but back the fuck up, right? Who knows somebody like this? Let me see if I show hands. Maybe it's borderline personality, or maybe you're disorganizedly attached. Maybe shit was dangerous and safe at the same time. That's really confusing. And for disorganized attachment, what happens is the threat response in the body, the, the amygdala, all the sort of sympathetic responses that kind of activate and threat get overridden so many times that they don't know when they're in danger sometimes. That's why they stay in an abusive relationship. That's why they become entrepreneurs. If you have a disorganized attachment style, you are primed to be an entrepreneur. You're like, okay, so I'm gonna start my business. And I'll be out of money by tomorrow, but who cares? You're yellow. <laughs> we'll figure it out. You hire someone anxious. You can't do that. If you do that, the business will completely erupt. Someone else was avoidant on the team. So whatever. Just start another business. Who cares? 
disorganized. Isn't all this so much fun? Oh my God. <laughs> Who follows? Does this make sense? Right? And we have different aspects of this. I would have guessed that a lot of us tend to be here. By the way, disorganized attachment makes you a great special forces. Marines, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs. Why? You can handle any fucking stress. Any stress. Can you imagine that? Super, like someone who's primarily anxious as a Navy SEAL? <laughs> They'd be killed so fucking fast. <laughs> Can you imagine the avoidance? Everybody on the team would hate them. Yo, bro, I know you got shot and shit, but whatever, bro, that's on you, you know? <laughs> right? Disorganized is a beautiful thing for things like really intense situations, entrepreneurship, etc. Because there's a level of stress that happens that's unlike these two. Who follows? Does this make sense? Right? And the other thing is, is that if you look at like business building and stuff like that, disorganized people start businesses because it's fun. Let's see what happens. I'm going to die today or I'm going to live today. Either way, it'll be fun. <laughs> right? Anxious people tend to start businesses because they want approval. I want to be, in, I want to be liked. Okay? Avoidance tend to start businesses because they want to be in control. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. What's interesting is, is that avoidant and disorganized attachment have a really hard time building teams because they really have no skill set for relying and counting on other people. They don't know how to do it. So you put someone in disorganized attachment, they'll be a really good solo practitioner. They start asking for help, they don't know how to do that. Freaks them the fuck out. Help me, but not right now. But right now, but do it, but not yet. Right? Like, <laughs> and the avoidants are like, solopreneur, bro, just automate that shit and get a Filipino VA and good, man. No help, right? Anxious people have a harder time starting businesses, but they're really good at growing them because they're really good at people, right? So typically you see these two styles be more like founders and stuff like that, and then these are more team. Now, it's not always the case, okay? Because, and the other thing is, if you look at the, the a study came out last year on like attachment style and entrepreneurship, and avoidant and disorganized people who have that style tend to hang with businesses longer in the beginning because they're more used to tolerating and avoiding pain. Anxious attachment style tends to give up first. Because in the beginning of a business, do you get approval? Yes or no? No way. So it's harder for them to start and grow a business because it's like, no one's approving of me. Because when you start a business, you actually sometimes decrease proximity with your, secure, with your primary attachment figures. You're not around your parents as much. You're not around people as much who you're used to being around. So you're kind of out there in isolation. For anxious, that's really hard. For these two, it's like, and? <laughs> who follows? Does this make sense? Right? So who's starting to understand themselves at an even different level now? Right? Hey, it's Mastin. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And before we wrap up, if you found value in this, one of the best ways to get this trauma-informed information to the world, if that's something that you want to do and to be a part of spreading the word, I would be so very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so that uh, you can review this. And hopefully it's a good review, but please leave an honest review. And especially if you want to leave a five-star review, I would be super stoked on that. But of course, just make it honest. But my goal is to share more trauma-informed information with the world. And I need your help to spread this information and reviews matter. So if you feel called to do that, would very much appreciate it. If you got value from this episode and from this podcast, we very much appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for hearing me out. And if you feel called, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify, and we'll see you in the next episode.